The world as we know it continues to evolve and change into something that we can only hope to understand. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate on a daily basis. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. Robert Freed is the Chief Executive Officer of Summerhill Homes and Summerhill Apartment Communities, a privately owned home builder focusing on the unique needs of the San Francisco Bay Area. Over the last 40 years, Summerhill has completed more than 70 developments representing over 5,000 single-family homes, condominiums, townhomes, and apartments. Robert draws from a dynamic background in real estate, corporate finance, and accounting to oversee Summerhill Housing Group. He joins us to talk about the changes with which the industry has been faced in 2020 and what it means for his company and other home builders across the country. Welcome to the pod, Robert. Robert, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning to you. Where do we find you today? Where Where are you located? I am located in our home in uh, Bozeman, Montana, and we're about 17 miles outside of Bozeman up in the mountains. So it's a gorgeous day. Uh, there's some snow on the ground, but it's 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 just one of those days you look at the mountains and you you feel thankful that you're alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a well it's a nice place too. I actually have been to Bozeman, so I I I I feel like I know where you are even though I don't know where you are, but Anyway, um, well, great. Well, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Um, I really appreciate it. By way of introduction, can you give us a you know a little bit about you know your background, how long you've uh, been with the company, sort of how you know what your sphere of influence there is, and you know how your role has evolved over over the years. I have been with Summerhill, I believe it's thirteen years. And um, prior to that, I had started my journey in real estate in uh, the public accounting realm with a firm called Kenneth Leventhal and Company. And it was fortunate. I sort of stumbled into them and that put me on the path of real estate, which turned out to be quite enjoyable for my career. My decision to join Summerhill after spending almost 14 years at KB Home was wishing to get back to a little more intimacy with the business as opposed to a large publicly traded company. Okay. And um, to hopefully create my own culture. And I don't, when I say my own, I don't mean me alone, but to attract people and talent and build an organization that reflected hopefully what I had learned during the course of my career. And as I said, more intimate, meaning focused on primarily the Bay Area as opposed to my last level of activity at KB Home, which was um, involved both uh, statewide and in some cases nationally. And um, Summerhill has sort of two groups, right? There's a single family home enterprise and then there's a, there's an apartment multifamily enterprise also. Tell us sort of how, how when, when you entered the organization, how, how that was and how that evolved. 
so it's been an interesting journey. When I first started with Summerhill, uh, my activities were limited to just the home building side of our now current business. And I think it was about six or seven years ago, George Marcus, who's our chairman and my partner, offered my team the opportunity to assume uh, the responsibilities for what was at the time a fairly small merchant building apartment development company. Yeah. And we discussed the fact that there could be potentially real synergies between the two teams, having both um, disciplines under one roof. And so we formed uh, Summerhill Apartment Communities and then the umbrella organization over Summerhill Homes and Summerhill Apartment Communities was uh, Summerhill Housing Group. Yeah, yeah. And that proved to be, I think, quite synergistic, both on the land acquisition side and on the entitlement side. Now, subsequently, as the both organizations have scaled quite a bit since that time, they are now a little more independent than they were when we first started, but still a lot of local coordination. Yeah, yeah. And and certainly in the last decade, one one would argue the multifamily development has, has really been kind of at... Uh, forefront of uh, of development in general throughout the Bay Area. I think it probably surprised some people, right, how the apartment community building became kind of a thing. You're correct. And, you know, I think if you go back in time, you know, 20, 25 years ago, a lot of the vision for the build out of the Bay Area was, in fact, predicated on the kind of urban development that has taken place in the last 10 years. But it took some time to get there. And then certainly, I don't think the degree to which rents uh, scaled upward was predicted by too many people, and and then of course, of course, um, costs have have gone up dramatically yeah. as well. So it, it it is a vision that I think was appropriate for the Bay Area, but uh, the scale of it probably was not completely understood by most people. My assumption is that towards the end of 2019, at the start of 2020, this year looked like a very you know, busy and engaging year for you guys. Give us sort of a glimpse into the organization kind of at the start of 2020 before before COVID hit and everything kind of had to be reset. On the home building side, we have uh, a fairly robust business. And when we rolled into 2020, we felt very confident in our ability to deliver uh, a fairly big year for us in terms of home deliveries and revenues in part because major entitlement work had been done in uh, in prior years and major infrastructure development had been done. So we had a fairly clear path to building homes. And then, of course, you're always subject to market conditions. So the home building side looked, looked very promising. And on the uh, multifamily side, uh, we we thought we were, you know, the cat's meow. Yeah. We really had a pipeline of great projects under construction. And uh, I think we had six projects under construction. And we had uh, and have a large pipeline of ent- entitlement deals. And everything on the multifamily side looked quite positive. Uh, subsequently, as, as we all know, the home building business has done extremely well nationally and despite the COVID challenges. And the multifamily side is going through a real upheaval, especially in the urban areas. And so we're, we're seeing uh, significant challenges on the apartment side. We're reevaluating our portfolio and reevaluating, you know, the profitability. Uh, fortunately, we're going to be fine, but we're, we're certainly not going to 
do as well as we would have expected and hoped for at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and and if, and if I understand this correctly, I mean, basically anything close to an urban center has more challenges, right, simply because of the urban nature, right, of, uh, of this disease, if you will, right? Um, is, is, is that what you mean? Uh, so the suburban product might, might sort of fare a little bit better because it's a little more spread out. You know, I personally don't think it's as much about urban or suburban as it is basic affordability. I see. We're seeing that there is a similar trend in both the for sale business and the apartment development business is that affordability became, in my opinion, a much more significant factor in either the buying or renting decision. And and in particular, on the multifamily side, when people were freed from going to the office every day and they looked at paying you know, $4,000 or $4,500 $5,000 a month in rent for the benefit of being not only close to their jobs, but close to services and entertainment and yeah. et cetera, and they no longer were bound by that. They said, well, what, what, what are my alternatives? And the alternatives were to move into locations that were less expensive, uh, whether that's in California or out of California. As we know, there's been a lot of movement. So to me, it was the opportunity for them to say, I can pay $1,800 or $2,000 a month in this other location. And for now, that suits me. So to me, that's been the driver. And, and the question then will be when people start returning to offices and a more routine type schedule, what what decisions will they make on a go forward basis? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's not clear yet. Yes, I, I think you're very, very right there. Um, one of the hallmarks of, of, of this sort of, you know, period in 2020 has been the, you know, real strong resurgence of single family home sales. Does that affect, you know, your thinking going forward in terms of, you know, how you approach that market? Well, we've had a long-term strategy, which will remain unchanged, which is to, to stay more in the urban infill type markets as opposed to really suburban outlying markets. And, and that won't change, as I mentioned a moment ago. But what we have done is re-examine what we now consider the ring in the core Bay Area right. for urban infill. And what that has led to is uh, two recent transactions that we're just starting the entitlements on, um, one in the Walnut Creek market and one in the San Ramon market, because we've defined those as now having traits that are very similar to what we've historically done in the peninsula and South Bay. And in, in particular, what we look to is be a competitor to the resale market as as opposed to a competitor with many new home building projects. And and that's the sort of the top level definition for me of an urban infill type market is where you're you're filling in the holes with new housing, but your competition is primarily the resale market. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do not I do not think that on the multifamily side we're gonna adopt the same strategy. We we've got a, a good land pipeline that we can hold for some longer periods of time. And I still think there will be a return to some of this urban core. And frankly, if other projects don't come out of the ground, so the supply is is um, a little less robust, then I think we're going to be fine. But our, our strategy 
is not going to be to do garden style apartments in, in the Alpine markets. We're going to stick with the more dense urban product. Yeah. Yeah. On the multifamily side, is there an opportunity for you guys to, you know, partner up more and kind of, you know, distribute some of their risk through, through, you know, joint ventures? Is that something you would consider in the future also? Certainly. So we, we've historically done a little bit of that. Uh, we, in the, in the projects that we have under construction now, we have one that is a, a joint venture with a financial partner. That's on a 90-10 basis. They put up 90% of the equity. We put up 10. Yeah. The rest of the projects have basically been wholly owned using our own equity and construction debt. I think it's prudent going forward to look at diversifying our, our equity investments such you know, to address the risk, as you indicated. But fortunately, we are well capitalized and, and we'll have the option of doing both. And so I think it's going to unfold in the next 12 months as we examine, you know, more uh, diversified financing for the portfolio that we have. Yeah. What have been some of the things that have surprised you during this time, both maybe positive and negative, uh, you know, outside from the obvious, maybe things about how the, you know, disease spreads and things like that. Um, but just some kind of trends that you've identified that, that you think are kind of interesting and that, um, that maybe caught, caught your eye simply because you, you didn't anticipate them. Well, I am pleasantly surprised that the home building business has been as strong as it has been. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm not surprised, but I'm certainly aware of the fact, as I said a few minutes ago, that affordability really presented itself as a much more important element in the home buying decision. And so that's manifested itself in, in a couple of ways. There's been a lot of activity in the outlying markets. So if you think about the Bay Area, you know, the Sacramento, the Central Valley, the East yeah, Contra yeah. Costa that are historically more affordable markets have been very strong. So people are saying, um, again, when I'm not bound to be so close to the office and this presents an opportunity for us to get a home that either we couldn't we we couldn't afford in closer in or the lifestyle of something more suburban because of covid has become more attractive. We've also seen in our urban markets affordability has demonstrated the importance of affordability has demonstrated itself where the new home premium that we typically see in uh, our projects of Historically, we're getting a 10 to 12% new home premium over the resale market. We're seeing that on the lower end of the price spectrum. So if you take a townhome project in Mountain View, the product that might be at the lower end, which unfortunately is, you know, a million four, million right, five, right. That, that still is carrying a new home premium. But as we get up to closer to a million eight to $2 million, that curve flattens out and we're not seeing a new home premium on that product. That, that's that spectrum of the product. And I see that primarily, one, because of the affordability side of things. And also then that puts people, if they're in that price point, they can then seriously consider an older resale of a most likely a detached home with a, with a yard. So then they get into that trade-off of, again, driven, I think, by COVID, COVID is do I want to venture into a sing an older single family detached because I have some yard space and I can live differently than I can in an attached product. So that that's been interesting to watch. On the multifamily side, I you know, I think I'm like everyone else a little bit surprised about the the rise in both vacancy and vacancies and the drop in rents. I mean I think I saw something this morning that rents in San Francisco are down like twenty percent. 
um, and vacancies are up to 10 or 11 percent. I mean, that is a dramatic change. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and th- that will not I do not expect that it will rebound as quickly as it decreased. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're probably facing some tough years there. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe it's also fair to you know point out that that's kind of relatively speaking. I mean, given that San Francisco is you know one of the highest in the country, right, in terms of rents anyway, right. So obviously, yeah, it's maybe not not surprising that's where it would probably fall. Yeah, but right? we're seeing in communities like Mountain View, I think rents are off at least fifteen percent. Yeah. And we're leasing a new project in Burlingame which is a great project. We're getting nice absorptions, but we're we're pre-COVID versus post-COVID, if you will. We're excluding the free rent we're giving. So typically the concession is is two months of free rent. And yeah. then the base after that, the base rent is still down between 12 and 15%. Yeah. So it's pretty dramatic. Yeah, no, interesting, interesting. You mentioned um, one of the one of the things that was becoming more difficult for for you guys was you know construction costs, right? And and where where has where has that landed sort of since COVID started? Have you noticed dip in that? Have you noticed that industry changing or really thinking about how they might advance forward? We haven't yet seen any strong evidence that on the multifamily side costs are going to come down. I believe most of us are anticipating that we will see some reduction in cost um, next year as the pipeline of new deals dries up, either because they're not economically viable or people are you know, putting them on hold. So I think from a basic supply and demand standpoint, we're going to see some cost decreases. I'm I'm not sure how dramatic they will be. Yeah. Land sellers, which is obviously an important component of costs, are slow to adjust and may not for a couple of years. So again, I don't see that helping the cause most, you know, uh, too much in, in the short run. And then, you know, as you may know, we had a big spike in lumber this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it almost doubled. So to the extent that there was the potential for cost decreases elsewhere that kind of took care of it yeah um and on the on the for sale side you know we have most of our projects are located in in the peninsula or south bay and it's harder to attract subcontractors to that market because it's you know they have a lot of their their employees are commuting in from the central valley and outlying areas and so we're going to pay we we have to pay a premium to get them there and i i don't expect our costs will decrease on the for sale side and if they moderate so that cost increases are not too dramatic i'll be pleased with that yeah interesting so so what what you've outlined is essentially on the cost side things haven't really changed that much i mean on maybe on some ends on some parts they have but then others have kind of spiked up so so sort of you're a net you know zero effectively Yet on the revenue side, things have, have, you know, decreased. So does this mean that some projects don't pencil out anymore? Um, and not necessarily just for you, but overall throughout throughout the industry, then do you think that this might be a cause for perhaps a slowdown in development even? I certainly think there'll be a slowdown in the multifamily rental space um, because projects do not pencil uh, with the lower rents and higher vacancies, of course, add to the risk. And until... Until you see some either reduction in costs or some bounce back in rents, I, I think there will be a large number of projects that are sidelined. You know, we have put off the start of 
three projects in the core Bay Area until we get more clarity on that. We yeah. own the land. We're entitled. To, uh, as I mentioned previously, we're fortunate that we're not under any financial strain. But the idea of putting new invested dollars into those projects without more clarity on, on market conditions would, wouldn't be a wise move. Yeah. So I think you'll you'll have others that are in the same category as we are where they're financially sound firms but they're not going to move forward for the reasons i mentioned and i think there's always going to be some some cases where the you know a developer was thinly capitalized and was counting on you know that jv equity coming in and yeah yeah and debt and equity is going to be harder to get and um, those projects will probably not get developed yeah, yeah, that's that's understandable. So, um, Robert, in in challenging times, there's also times for opportunity and kind of new things to you know spring up and new new ideas, fresh thoughts, and that kind of thing. How do you at Summerhill look at you know what is going on, and how do you see that as a as an opportunity for you guys to you know be better uh, in the next cycle? We're always striving to be better because. I've never come close to perfection. <laughs> right. um, again, addressing the two businesses, I do feel reasonably confident on the home building side that we can actually scale our business during the, the, the next couple of years. And, and that's in part because of the pipeline that we've secured. We've remained aggressive. And so we have some great uh, assets currently under development and to be developed. And I do think, and, and my team teases me because I've been saying this for 10 or 11 years, but I think there's going to be less competition from the public home builders in the core Bay Area because I just don't think they can sustain the kind of volume that their businesses are driven on. And land prices and entitlement risks are very, you know, very high in the core Bay Area. So you have to you have to be committed to it for the long term. And, you know, we, we've done extremely well, but we've also had some big losses on the entitlement side. And so you, you have to have the stomach for that. And so I see less potential competition on the home building side and a slightly expanded marketplace for us, as I referred to earlier, as we look at kind of that first urban ring, urban core. Yeah. Uh, on the multifamily side, you know, I, I would say, you know, we all like to think there's going to be some good opportunistic situations, but I, I really don't see it for the next couple of years. I think you'll see our business be more modest in size and and more risk adverse, because I think that will be the smart thing to do. So I believe our best strategy will, excuse me, will be to maximize the execution results on the portfolio we have. And if we do any new transactions, it'll be very selective in terms of location and as risk adverse as you can get. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're sort of we're gonna we're gonna regroup and be more cautious, frankly, on the multifamily side. Are you anticipating more institutional capital coming into this space? I mean, we've certainly seen it in the sort of single family side. We've seen it enter, you know, the office component. We've seen it sort of, you know, push out some of the you know traditionally local developers either out or force them to partner with them in order to sort of stay you know relevant do, do you see that happening in in your world also uh whether it's uh, via acquisition whether it's via partnering up for you know development how how is that world impacting what what you do on a daily basis i i potentially see more of that on the multifamily side than i do on the for sale and specifically in the multifamily side we're what you know, would be referred to as a merchant builder. So our strategy would be, you know, we 
entitled piece of ground. We build the apartment, we lease it up. And once it's stabilized, we sell, we sell it. If you're in an environment where there's either rent decreases or, or no rent increases. So it's flatline. You really can't make much money because as a merchant builder, what your pro forma is based on is during the period of time that you control the property from the start to the finish, that rents increase and you create value. So those assets that we have earmarked originally as a merchant build, meaning we're going to flip it, are most likely going to need to be held for five to seven years. And so that will be a different capital structure. And our capital has been primarily geared to the shorter term versus the midterm. So if you're in my camp, so speak, you're a merchant builder, you're going to look for new institutional capital that is that is um, designed, so to speak, for that that longer period of time. The the home building side, certainly speaking for Summerhill, where we don't partner up and never have and don't intend to, and that's not being negative on anybody that has. Yeah, it's just yeah. we're we're fortunate that our capital is available, and and, and so we're not going to change that strategy. And I also don't think institutional capital is going to be comfortable coming into the Bay, the core Bay Area on the home building side. It's just frankly too risky. So if that's going to occur, I would see it more in the Texas and and um, Arizona and Florida type markets where it's a fairly high volume, frankly, less risky kind of environment. So Robert, given all the sort of negative things going on this year and challenges that, that we've uh, faced, what, what gives you hope? <laughs> uh, well, if you're not reasonably optimistic you shouldn't be in the real estate development (laughs) business first of all right (laughs) again looking at the two businesses on the home building side i'm uh, hopeful so to speak or pleased or whatever the right terminology would be based on the pipeline that we have in place for the future and and you can never predict market conditions but if things are relatively stable um, we should do you know extremely well and I also look at the fact that I have a, you know, on both companies, I have a very, uh, I'm fortunate to have a great team of professionals. And I've recently promoted two individuals, Chris Neighbor on the home building side and yep. Doug McDonald on the apartment side as to, they're now both presidents of their companies and they're great leaders. And so I see, you know, frankly, a succession plan in place for me. And that I think that's an important part of our future success that, you know, we've set up the team to, to prosper. And, and I enjoy, at the risk of sounding corny, I enjoy being a mentor. So I find, I find that to be rewarding. And, and frankly, when you're helping people do well, that is, that is hopeful. That yeah. is positive. And um, I also, you know, I also can look at the, both companies and know we're, you know, we're very fortunate to have a partner like George Marcus, who not only allows us to run the businesses, but provides us uh, access to capital. And, and he understands the business. So, he, you know, he knows there's going to be ups and downs. He knows it's volatile. You know, you're going to get, you're going to have some losses at times. And so that type of financial partner, I mean, he can't overstate how beneficial that is. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Robert, thank you very much for your time. Stay safe. Yeah, I think we all need to do that. And uh, I I appreciate your comment about being, you know, hopeful because we, you know, we need to look forward to the future for, you know, everyone around us, our our coworkers, our friends, our family. And uh, 
you know, I, I would hope that the vaccines on the horizon will make 2020 a better year, 2021, excuse me, a better year for all of us. And, you know, and I appreciate spending some time with you. It was yeah, quite enjoyable. I, I am, uh, I am of, of the same belief and I, and I do look forward to, uh, to a, to a different 2021 and hopefully one that's, uh, you know, shows a lot more of a sort of hope and, uh, uh, improvement in all aspects of our lives for sure. Definitely. Thank you. We'll be in touch. All right, Vlad, you take care. 